Amen. If you were with us and been following along, you notice at the very end of chapter 16, there was the last time we were together here last week, we ended with verses 18 through 22, which is important because it ties into chapter 17 and 18. God knew the importance of just judges and officials to any nation, but specifically to the nation of Israel. And therefore, God commanded that they shall not pervert justice. They shall nor show any partiality as a judge or an official, nor shall they take any bribe as a judge or an official. Instead, they were to follow what is altogether just because a judge has the responsibility to do justice. That's what a judge is supposed to do. Oh, I wish our judges would be like that across our nation here. For our, we would be a better nation because of it. Especially if they follow God's word in conjunction with that. But the first responsibility of the judges was to prevent impure worshiping practices in the land. We saw that in verses 18 through 22 of chapter 16. And anything that might lead to mixing worship of the Lord with pagan practices or pagan systems of worship was strictly prohibited. There was no compromise on that as we read through it. This included any of the wooden ast asteroph pole or, or the goddess of fertility and putting that little totem pole up to worship to encourage fertility or a sacred stone pillar that was symbolic of the male fertility was prohibited. But that's what was happening and it should not have. Tonight we continue to see laws regarding justice in courts and how the rulers are to rule. We see here in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 1 through 5, follow along, regard to, You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God a bull or sheep, which has any blemish or defect, for that is an abomination to the Lord your God. And if there is found among you within any of your gates, which the Lord your God gives you, a man or a woman who has been wicked in the sight of the Lord your God in transgressing his covenant, who has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, either the sun or the moon or any other host of heaven, which I have not commanded, and it is told you, and you hear of it, you then you shall inquire diligently. And if it is indeed true and certain that such an abomination has been committed to in Israel, then you shall bring out to your gates that man or woman who has committed that wicked thing and shall stone to death that man or woman with stones. It starts off here, you shall not. <laughs> That's not, you shall maybe, you shall consider it. You, no, you shall not. So it made it very clear in this section, like in Exodus chapter 21 through 23, is meant to give instructions, give boundaries, give laws to the judges of Israel and how to minister justice to the nation. This is God's standard. You break the standard. This is the consequence. It's just and consistent across all people, not just some. And so what they did, we looked here that God commanded that no one would bring to him a sacrifice 
that which was, had any blemish or defect or, any, or anything that was not good and right, that would be an abomination to the Lord. God did not recognize the giving of junk. Oh, honey, let's give something to, to the Lord. We're going to give this to the Lord. And, oh, we'll tell everybody we're giving this to the Lord. Get out, clean out the closet because we want to clean out it. It's been junk. It's been there for years. Just give it to the church. Just give it to the work of the Lord. That was not acceptable to God in these days. No junk, no worthless items were to be given to God. It was supposed to be good. It was supposed to be right. And as true sacrifice unto him, we have a tendency to always want to give God second best, not God's best. Not our first best. It's always the third or fourth best. But God would not receive such a sacrifice from his people. It had to be the best lamb, the best uh, sacrifice. Now it's interesting, Israel does, did not always live up to this standard of always giving the best and always trying to slip in the blemishes or slip in the defects. And, uh, and there was consequences we see it in Malachi 1.8. When you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? When you offer the lamb, the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you if you offered that to the governor? Would he accept your favorably, says the Lord of hosts. David understood this in the Old Testament. We see then in 2 Samuel that David powerfully illustrated the idea behind this commandment when he refused to accept the threshing floor of Aranui, or Ernua as a gift which David was going to give to the Lord as the place to build the temple. And someone was offering this threshing floor and he says, oh, no, 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 no. That's not going to be acceptable for God to use that as a place to build the temple. David said, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with which costs me nothing. Second Samuel chapter 24 verse 24. Because God, David understood that he was being put in his heart to, to, to give and to sacrifice to build this for God. And here comes someone in here to say, I'll give this for free because this is going to be for the Lord. And he said, no, no, no. It would, if it doesn't cost me something, it wasn't a sacrifice. If it hasn't cost me something, it's not a sacrifice. And so we, there's always been this running joke, and I've seen it heard many times in the in teachings on the radio or commentators or whatever. It's always this kind of it's a funny joke, but I'll use the farmer as part of this to is you know just as a farmer I'll use that as a as part of it. But a farmer he uh, he he has a cow that gave to twins. And he said he's going to commit these, both these, the, the, these twins, you know, Lord, whatever you give me, I'm going to commit one of these cows to you. But he never committed to which cow. He just said, I'm going to commit one of these cows to you, Lord. And all of a sudden he comes in to, for dinner and he says to his wife, oh, honey, one of the cows, the, the, one of the cows died and that was God's cow. Because it was a running joke, right? We have two cows, I'm going to give one to the Lord, but when it dies, oh, that's the Lord's cow. Not the one that's still alive, but we'll give the one that's a sacrifice. But who has gone and served other gods and worshipped them? He says, this is unacceptable. And he's saying to the judges, 
also to command to make sure that any who had gone after idolatry are to be investigated. You weren't supposed to just take it from hearsay. You were to find out and make sure it's true. And when you do, they were to be executed. Why? Why capital punishment? Because God said that kind of behavior, that kind of action within the nation is going to threaten the nation's very existence. And so God didn't tolerate idolatry within the nation of Israel. In verses 6 and 7, whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. So it wasn't just one judge, but two or three witnesses that are bringing to the judge. And he was supposed to investigate those two or three witnesses to validate. Not just take it for hearsay, but to validate. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. The hands of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hands of all the people. So you shall put away the evil from among you. This is serious business because the judges not only were supposed to investigate, but he couldn't do it from one person's voice. It had to be two or three that were Two independent or three trustworthy, dependable witness sources before you put someone to death. So this capital punishment wasn't freely given. It's like, oh, we haven't had a death in a while or capital punishment. Let's, let's we'll do it with this one. No, no. It was serious business when they made that decision, but it had to be investigated. Now, you may comfort ourselves sometimes when I say, well, I would, you know, would never judge someone guilty of murder because of that so quickly. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do it on one person. But you have to understand how many times in our own minds we, we, we will yet murder someone's reputation based on someone making a comment. And it will ruin their reputation. And we quickly grab a hold of that one comment from one person about that one person and what they did. And you never investigate, let alone you shouldn't even do it based on one person's comment. We must, before you make any statements out about someone else, be very careful of what you say about them. God is concerned about the murder of reputation as well as the physical murder and the commands that one should not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. We see even that example in 1 Timothy 5.19. That same standard is also applied when it comes to proving murder. Now, Remember, in 1 Timothy 5.19, it does not say except from two or three gossips. It says except from two or three witnesses. And it's a matter of it being to prove, are they false witnesses? Are they true witnesses? And the judges were supposed to go and make sure and validate clearly. How important this was is we see in the scripture here that the people who are coming and witnessing against someone... They must be the very first ones to pick up a stone and actually start to bring judgment or capital punishment on that person. Why was that important? Because if it found out later on that that was false, then they committed murder. They would, they would, be, they would have capital punishment upon them as well. But the first ones to throw that stone had to be the witnesses. That's why we see in John 8... 
when Jesus was regarding the woman that was taken in adultery and they brought that woman in front of him, what did he say? He said, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. That was in there. Why? He says, okay, who were the witnesses here? I see the woman. Where's the man that supposedly is in adultery? Because both of them are supposed to be brought in front of me. So where's the, where's, why is it just the woman? So if you're going to be having a, a witness here, you pick up the stones and you'd be the first one to do it if you're innocent about this. And what did they do? They walked away because they knew once they found out that that wasn't true or it wasn't equally because a man should have been there as well, they would have uh, uh, faced that capital punishment as well. But notice that afterwards, the hands of all the people. So not only were the ones who were the witnesses would be the first ones to cast a stone, but then the entire nation, all, that's the key word, all the people would come and pick up stones. Because why? Because God wanted to make sure that people learn from someone else's mistake of going against God, in this case, adultery. And so everyone was learning from this so that they would learn this would happen to you if you go down that same path as the person they find uh, guilty. In verses 18 or 8 through 13, we see the provisions made by the high courts. If a matter arises which is too hard for you to judge between degrees of guilt for bloodshed, between one judgment or another, or between one punishment or another, matters of controversy within your gates, then you shall arise and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses, and you shall come to the priests, the Levites, and the judge there in those days and inquire of them, and they shall pronounce upon you the sentence of judgment. You shall do according to the sentence which they pronounce upon you in the place which the Lord chooses. And you shall be careful to do according to all that they order you, according to the sentence of the law in which they instruct you, according to the judgment which they tell you, you shall do. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left from the sentence which they pronounced upon you. Now the man who acts presumptuously and will not heed the priest's who stands to minister there before the Lord your God or the judge, that man shall die. Again, there's consequences for not following what is being told. So you shall put away the evil from Israel and all the people shall hear and fear and no longer act presumptuously. So the matter was to, when it got too difficult for the local judges and officials to, to make a decision, this is a serious matter, it might become from prominent families, whatever it was that, that felt that they couldn't make that decision, they were to raise that up to that, that central tribunal, uh, uh, central government overseeing, it would be the chief judge, it would be the priests, it would be the Levites that they said here, and they would then they, because they know the word of God, they were wiser, they would make the decision. And once they made the decision, then the courts made the decision. And if any man or anyone would go against that tribunal decision, then there were contempt of court. There were contempt of court, and that would be result in a capital of a crime of going against the court, and that was not tolerated. So you wouldn't find in those days where the high court makes a decision and tells the nation what the decision is and have people rushing and trying to kill the Supreme Court or the High Court or go against the House, you wouldn't find any of it because all of those would be what? 
they would die. There were consequences for going against the judges that oversee and their final decision of the nation of Israel. Hello? Wouldn't that solve a lot of problems these days? So there was not a, there's not a question of God's determination of how this was supposed to work out. And the rules and how the judges or rulers, in this case judges, the priests, the Levites, the chief judge, all of that was very clear in God's word of how they were to, to do that appropriately. Now in verses 14 and 15, we see the laws pertaining to kings. That's interesting because at this point, there have been no kings. So we see that God gives Moses a glimpse of what was going to happen in the future. So if you, when you have a king, these are the rules, these are the boundaries, this is how it's supposed to operate. Look at what happens here. When you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you and possesses it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you shall surely set a king over you among the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brethren, you shall set a king over you and you may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother." So it's right up front, if <laughs> not a king, but he's saying, when you get into the promised land and you start saying, we want a king, God's already predicting this is going to happen. And God already said, Moses, let the people know. So after Moses dies, after Joshua dies, and the people were to be governed by judges and priests, that was the next leadership roles, Moses would let them, then it was Joshua, now it's judges and officials and priests. But God said and showed Moses, it will eventually lead to a king. But however, the system did not provide Israel with any semblance of a strong central government. Because we see in the scriptures and the history of Israel, being ruled by judges and priests didn't go well for them. It didn't at all. And it could only work if the leader or rulers the judges and the priests, and the people were committed to following the Lord. Because if they're not committed to following the Lord, that system was going to break. Why? Because the judges and the priests would start compromising and taking bribes and showing prejudice, and they wouldn't rule rightly, and it would be more political and not justice, and things we see today. When you walk away from the foundation of God's word and God's truth, you have a just judicial system that's going to awry. So he says, I will set a king over you like all the other nations that are around you. So God looked forward some 400 years forward that you were going to have a king. In the Israel's future, this is what's going to happen. And to that time when they would demand a king, God warned them to set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. Not the people who choose, but who God chooses. And that person had to be an Israelite and could not be a foreigner. That was the boundaries for them in regards to having a king. So it's interesting to consider whether or not God wanted an earthly king over Israel. 1 Samuel 8, 6-9, the record of Israel's demand for the king puts the request for a king in a negative light when you read that. 
But one might ask if God really did want Israel to never have an earthly king, and if he wanted them to recognize and have one, it was for him alone as king. So I lean to the fact that, yeah, you can read it and say he never wanted a king, or I believe he knew that they were going to have a king because it's going to, again, pave the way to the perfect king, that is Jesus Christ. Either way, however you want to look at it, either way, we know history and we know what the scripture says. They had a king and didn't do well. Why? Because we know in the scripture, Saul was that perfect example of the people choosing their own king. Based on looks, based on prestige, he towered over everyone. He was good looking, all this, and he had a miserable fail. Why? Because God did not choose him. But David is a perfect example of a king chosen by God and in his timing. That's how it was supposed to be. Now, in verse 16 and 17, we see some boundaries again for, for a king, if they put a king in place. It says, but he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt or multiply horses. For the Lord said, has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver, gold, for himself. So three things, uh, boundaries when it comes to the king. First one was that you shall not multiply horses for himself. The future king had of Israel must not put undue trust in the military might that he would build in his, the nation, but trust the Lord alone to make in battle for you against other nations. He's already proven that he's taken over the enemy. He didn't have to have an army and, and chariots and horses. He took the people and raised them up and he took care of the enemy. And he didn't want that to ever change so that they wouldn't re rely on, and, on might and power. But by God's spirit, says the Lord. By his power. Neither shall they multiply wives for themselves. The future king of Israel must not put undue emphasis on physical indulgences, nor personal status, nor take any on foreign women because for political alliances like they did, or because when you brought in these foreign women into it, then they brought their foreign gods in there and caused the king to, to walk away from worshiping the one and true uh, God of Israel. They would start worshiping all these other things of the other nations. And God says, no, no, you can't do that. And then thirdly, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself, because the future king of Israel must not put undue emphasis on personal wealth, lusting after the, the things of the world, and in independence from God. I don't need God. I've got all the wealth I need. Look at, the, look at what I've been able to build up and look at my storehouse of all this wealth and stuff. I don't need, you know. You stop trusting in what God's provision and protection. Why? Because he says, this is what will happen if you do not watch those three things, lest his heart turn away. That's exactly what will happen. When you start pursuing power and you start pursuing pleasure and you start pursuing wealth it will turn your heart away from trusting in the Lord nothing new under the sun it is still true today you know it's interesting Solomon was probably the perfect example of someone who is so wise 
incredible what God gave him, the wisdom and abilities, and, and, and just built up. And, and, but again, he, he had 40,000 stalls of horses of his, for his chariots. So, uh, Solomon had horses imported from Egypt. He had 700 wise princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart, we see. And he sur- uh, surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches. All of this you can read in 1 Kings chapter 4, chapter 11, chapter 10, that area. You can see how God warns the kings, including Solomon, don't do it. And he did it anyway, and look what happened to him. And he knew it. He knew the command of God. He, he read, he understood, he knew, he was advised of Deuteronomy chapter 17. Yet he deceiving himself by asking the self-justifying questions that everyone does today. Is that really multiplying? If I have hundreds of horses, is that really multiplying? I could have twice that much. Is that really a lot of wealth? Is that really, I mean, I'm not really justifying for my million dollar assets. No, I'm not. I really don't have assets. I mean, two million is really rich, not one million. (laughs) It's nothing new under the sun. You start rationalizing why you're not violating, you know, your conscience on certain things. Because, you know, it's not compared to someone else. I'm really not that bad, you know. Another king has more, more money. Another king has more chariots. Egypt has everything. I don't have everything compared to them. I mean, when you start going down this path of self-evidence and self-realization and understanding, underestimating, you're really underestimating the ability of the human heart to deceive you. That is the warning for all of us. When you start rationalizing and you start playing on the edge of things and you know that God's word says not to do, no, so, no touchy, but you're like, I'm not touching it, I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm not touching it. And you start, you can really deceive yourself in your heart and you can actually uh, deceive yourself to a point of situation where you do fall into that. Because even Christian leaders, the number one thing that they must watch as Christian leaders, especially as pastors, is power, pleasure, or money. Absolute high walls guarded in my life around power, pleasure, or money. Why? Because I know what the scripture tells me and how the enemy and how I can deceive my heart if I don't think I can't fall into that. So I have to be very, 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 very careful. And all of my leaders, if anyone's going to be in the leader, I'm making sure you cannot look for power in your position. You can't look for thinking you can have pleasure, whatever you want to do, and you can just sit there and, and have all this wealth and money and, and pursue all these things because it will mislead you if you're not careful, like Solomon and how he got cut down because of all that. In verses 18 and through 20, we see that the king and the word of God is so important that God wanted this leader to be prepared to follow him. Look at what his, the requirement was. Also, it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write. Notice that. He shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book. From the one before the priests and the Levites. Exactly the one they're reading and teaching you. You're going to sit there and take that and write it out by hand. You're going to journal this baby to the, right to the exact T. Because I know if you write it, you will absolutely remember the book. 
and it shall be with him. It's not something you're going to write and say, check. It is going to be with you, and you shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom and he and his children in the midst of Israel. So God says, you're going to write this out. You're going to know this, and you're going to, going to read it, and read it, and read it, and read it. Why? Because I know that will keep you humble. It will keep you focused on me and being and pleasing me. And that will, when you uh, rule uh, godly, you will have a long stint of being king. You do not rule godly, God's going to take you out. It's just the way it works. So he's warning them right up front. I want you to think, this is not something I put you in there. Oh, thank you, God, for letting me be king. And then all of a sudden, go do your thing because you think you're in power and you got money and everyone beckons to you and bows to you. No, no. You're going to say, focus on me as a leader. And you're going to be humbled and you're going to serve and you need to do it. Why? Because all the need for the word of God is so important in God's view. The word of God was to be a constant companion of the king of Israel. And they were to read it every day. All need the word of God, do we not? We need the word of God. We need to read it daily. Why? Because the greater our responsibilities as we grow and mature as adults and, and responsibilities, the greater our need to depend on the truth of God's word. You don't, you don't sit there and say, I just need God's word to get saved. And I need God's word to get me through some really difficult times and transition. But now I'm, I'm older and I'm fine and I'm at the end of my life. It's no big... No! And the word of God is throughout your entire life. Because the older you get, the greater responsibilities you'll have. And you need to know the truth to live that life. And they may, that he may, the king may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of the law. Not only do you need to read it and learn it, memorize it, apply it it's it's staying in the word of god was intended to build a reverence of god in one's life a holy life in the king the word of god will do that and that's what god says it needs to happen there's a saying this book will keep you from sin and sin will keep you from this book you want to know why people don't read the Word of God? Sin, probably, sin, yeah. Somewhere, something. But the book will keep you from sin. You see how important it is to stay in the Word of God and continue to read the Word of God. Now we see in verse, uh, chapter 18, we see in verse one, two, 1 and 2, priests and prophets, another ruler's that have laws and governance that need to be. And it says, The priests and the Levites, all the tribe of Levi, shall 
have no part nor inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire in his portion. Therefore, they shall have no inheritance among their brethren. The Lord is their inheritance, as he said to them. See, we've studied this in the previous books there, how important it is that the Levites did not get any land. They had areas and places and, and properties that they got to dwell with in the other cities, but they never got to own anything. They relied solely upon God's people giving to them for the work of God and that they were serving them by serving God as Levites and then as priests, and they would bring the offerings in, and that's how they provided for those in the ministry of the Levites and priests. So we see that that was very important, that the Levites were to be supported by the gifts and offerings by God's people, and they needed to solely place their trust in the faith of God of, that the people would bring that. To them, And how did they get that? Well, they came to with their sacrifice. They got a portion of those sacrifices when they came. Look, at you can see that in verses 3 through 5. It says, And this shall be the priest's due from the people that those who offer a sacrifice, whether it is bull, uh, uh, is bull or sheep, they shall give to the priest the shoulder, the cheeks, and the stomach, and the first fruits of your grain, and your new wine, and your oil, and the, and the first of the fleece of your, your sheep, you shall give him for the Lord your God has chosen him out of all your tribes to stand to minister in the name of the Lord him and his sons forever notice he the first fruits the new wine the new the new oil the fresh pressed things the new the the blemished uh, free and and healthy sheep that's what came to be sacrificed to God. That's what was being given to those who were serving them, the Levites, the priests, in the, in the tabernacle and the temple. Then we see in verses 6 through 8 that so if a, a Levite comes from any of your gates from where he dwells among all Israel and comes with all the desire of his mind to the place which the Lord chooses, then he may serve in the name of the Lord his God, as all his brethren and the Levites do, you who stand there before the Lord, they shall have equal portions to eat besides what comes from the sale of his inheritance. So we see that all Levites had equal rights to the offerings. Everyone was provided for in these offerings. And it was good and right for them to continue to serve in that capacity that God called that tribe to do. Then we see in verses 9 through 11 the command to reject any occultic practices by the Canaanites that they were going to see and hear and watch and experience. And he says, you are not to touch these things. Look what happens here. When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. Don't follow those practices and things that they do. There shall be there shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjectures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. <laughs> this is a dark nations, man. The Canaanites were very dark. They were calling up demonic forces in, in so many different ways. We could take the time. I don't have the time to break down every single one of what is a witchcraft, what is soothsayers, what is the omens, what is sorcerers. 
I'm just telling you right now that anything you start messing with, from the witchcraft of Wicca, which is a, a religion today, and anything around that, just know it is pure from the pit of hell. It is darkness. I don't care if you see what is common today. They're white. They, they, they follow um, uh, uh, white witches, not dark witches. Hello? <laughs> the white will lead to the dark. It's only a matter of time. It's all bad. It's all dark. It's all, don't mess with it. Don't open any portal to any darkness. Ouija boards and, and tarot cards and, and, uh, and reading the palms. and Oh, it's just a fair and you pay $5 and she'll read that. Don't mess with any of it. Astrology is, is leading. That is a soothsayer. It is a astro uh, um, uh, astrological type deviation predicting the future and seeing the stars and the planets and the clouds and the and the weather and it, it's unscientific and they use that to bring you into this oh tell me what the stars are lining up to do don't touch it you're playing with fire we're calling the soothsayers here that's what they used to do that's how we'd lean them in omens all of those things we could spend a lot of time tonight on that, but we will not. Verse 12 through 14, And for all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what I say. It only matters what the Lord says. And he says it's an abomination. It goes against him. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You don't have these they're not going to be around these people. Don't, don't let them hang around you. Don't be spending time with these people. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God for these nations which you will dispose as listen to uh, listen to soothsayers and deviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. It says right here, God did not take these occultic actions lightly. They weren't interesting. Isn't that fun? Isn't that really? Look, at he's going to you know, do all these kinds of things and watch these shows. That, I mean, it's plethora. There's even movies and, and, and all kinds of things going on. And even on, on the websites and, and different games, playing with this stuff. God didn't mess with this. He said, don't touch it at all. And nor does he allow it today. The power of darkness will always come against you as a Christian and it will be rejected. I mean, it's not a good thing. This is a very bad thing and you don't want to mess with. And a culture is becoming more and more accepting of these occultic themes and practices. And it's becoming more and more tolerant by Christians in the church. As a pastor, I'm warning you, don't read anything about it. Don't watch any music, any watch movies about it. Don't be entertained watching your little things that vignettes that pop up to. Oh, if someone's going to try to read someone's mind and read poems, don't touch it. The scripture says, "Stay away from all forms of evil." Is that simple for you? God said it's evil. It's evil. 
Verses 15 through 19, then the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet. Notice that, a capital P, like me, from your midst, from your brethren. Him, capital H, you shall hear. According to all you desire of the Lord your God in Horeb, in the day of the assembly, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see these great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among your brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him and it shall be what whoever will not hear my words which he speaks in my name I will require it of him. So Moses by inspiration of the Holy Spirit promised a prophet to come a prophet that would first be like me that is like Moses and he says there from the midst uh, from your midst from your brother like Moses this prophet would be from the midst of Israel this is not only meant that he would be an Israelite but that he would be a man of the people he would be one of them that's another requirement that God is revealing how that's going to be him you shall hear. Like Moses, this prophet will command the attention of the nation. This means both Israel should listen to this prophet and that they would listen to this prophet. So they listened to Moses, the prophet. God spoke directly to Moses and Moses spoke directly to the people. The prophet, like Moses, will do the same. According to all you desire of the Lord, your, your God, you God in Horeb, says, like Moses, this prophet will be a mediator, because Moses was, representing God to the people, like Moses was, and representing the people before God, like Moses was, and will put my words, God's words, in his mouth. So like Moses, this prophet would speak God's word. And it goes on and on here. So, And I will raise up for them this prophet. So people look for this prophet in Jesus' day. John chapter 6 verse 14 and John 7 verse 40. Some thought that John the Baptist might be this prophet that is being referenced to back here in Deuteronomy and other parts of scripture. John 1 verses 19 through 21. But the New Testament plainly tells us the prophet that they're referring to is not John the Baptist, but Jesus is this great prophet. Acts chapter 3, verses 19 through 26, and Acts 7, 37. What happens if someone comes and says, I'm a prophet, but it's a false prophet? Look what happens, verses 20 through 22. But the prophet who presumes... Uh, to speak a word in my name which I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods like the prophet shall th that prophet shall die and if you say in your heart how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord if the thing does not happen or come to pass that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken the prophet has spoken it presumptuously, and you shall not be afraid of him. So we see here at the end of this chapter, false prophets. People are going to come 
people are going to say, the Lord told me to tell you that this was going to happen. How do we know if it's a prophet or a false prophet? If it actually happened according to what he said that the Lord told him. He said that there are going to be those who would presume, presume in their... I, 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 I really think the Lord's showing me and telling me. I'm going to go tell him. The Lord showed me and told me to tell you. Don't presume. Be very careful. I don't know if this is from the Lord or not. I don't know if this is true or not. But I really think I want to share something with you that just seems to be something I think I need to share with you. That's safe. That's a little safe. They're not saying that the Lord saith. They're saying... I just want to share with something that I believe that I need to share with you. And you make sure you do that. Because if you say, the Lord told me, and you say it, you're putting yourself in a position. If it doesn't come to pass, you're a false prophet. And you are not to have anything to do with that person. Now, I'm not saying if you did that today that we have our stone pile out back and we all get to throw stones for the very first time. No, no, that's not how we deal with that today. Today, if you don't repent of that, <laughs> you are then cast out. We are to ask you to please leave the fellowship because you're not, you're not safe. Now, if you repent and you come back, then again, God's grace. But don't do that. Don't go around and say, the Lord told me. The Lord, Lord told me to tell you be very careful. Why? Because that prophet shall surely die. The penalty of false prophets was death. How do we know? Simply by the accuracy of the word of God that they said they received from God. Be very careful. So that is the rules around rulers and how the nation of Israel was supposed to listen and follow those things to keep order, keep right, Keep following the Lord according to his ways and not get mixed up in all the junk around other nations and other situations and situations that you think um, we should and you should not. Because let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. We see that even in 1 Corinthians 14, 29 and also 1 John 4, 1. It's far better to be humble and say, I think the Lord may have said to me, instead of being too confident and become self-righteous, stay humble, my brothers, sisters, and just simply please the Lord in all the things you say and do. Amen.